Have you tried my new favorite cocktail? Anytime Spritz is a new farm-to-can cocktail company that I've been drinking, well, anytime I want to drink. Their cocktails have a transparent ingredient list, and they're all farm-fresh products that I can pronounce and have in my kitchen, so I feel good about what alcohol I'm putting in my body. They use an organic vodka, because why aren't we all drinking organic alcohol, and 100% real fruits and herbs. I feel like there's a bartender in my house who just distilled fresh organic vodka and then picked fruit from a garden and made me a cocktail to go. If you want a cocktail that's flavorful, not too sweet, and fresh, try Anytime Spritz. Bring it to your next dinner party or for your next outdoor adventure. Find your closest store or order it online at www.anytimespritz.com. I am proud to admit that in the year 2019, I never fell victim to a meow corset. (laughs) That's really impressive. I never had anything from them either. And now they're just kind of gone, right? They're kind of gone. It makes sense to me that you wouldn't have a meow corset, but it was really something that I actively had to withhold from. Yeah. They were everywhere so fast. They came in so many different types. And honestly... Some of them actually were very shapely. Like they were beautiful. Yeah, yeah. They're well done. They're they're just like the Vivian Westwood corset shape. Like it's a foolproof formula. But they were everywhere too fast. Yeah. Yeah. You can't sustain that. You cannot sustain that. I bet right now actually Depop is flooded with meow corsets. I was just gonna say I used to follow one of the designers on Depop because she would post all the samples. So I'm sure if that was happening at the height of their popularity, you can probably get them. Should we? Should we? <laughs> I want one of the ones that point up. But no, I don't. I think we should stay strong. No, you're probably right. But like a little denim one could be a cute layering piece. I used to have a denim corset from Abercrombie <laughs> that I wore. It wasn't really a corset. It was like a, a little Ruby's demi like in, bustier. In first grade. <laughs> yeah. It was in 10th and 11th grade. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't actually think I own a corset I have a corset adjacent item but I haven't worn it in over like three seasons and if I'm correct I think by ruby redstone standards that means it should probably go oh it's gotta go what's the rule that you usually use (laughs) I'm really strict I'm actually trying to like roll this back a little bit but for me if I haven't worn it in six months it has to go unless it's like a truly seasonal piece like a winter coat or a bathing suit yeah because I don't like having seasonal clothes even all my stuff is like in one closet and I like it to work for for most occasions have you gotten rid of anything that you've really regretted no because I try to be really zen about it I feel like you you're like no I haven't gotten rid of stuff that I really regret I'm like I bet you've gotten rid of stuff that I regret (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm like no I want that back And this is the main thing. It'll like piss off my sister. Yeah. She's like, I wanted that. Yeah. And I'm like, sorry. Could've, you could have bought it on Depop, babe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ruby Redstone. I'm a fashion historian, writer, and I'm excited that I'm finally allowed to start buying people holiday presents. And I'm Natalie Brennan. I'm a podcast producer, a writer, and I just absolutely got everyone in my sister's orbit to buy her perfect birthday gifts. We're really closing in on like the birthday holiday season. It's gift time. Yeah. And that's also why I need to have this baby very soon because we can't get too close to our family already does a Hanukkah and two Christmases. So I'm like, we can't. We She deserves her own moment. <laughs> yeah, she needs her own moment. Anyway, and this is Covered, a show about our favorite moments in fashion history. This week, maternity corsets. Corsets have a really bad wrap in my brain 
Movies and TV have worked overtime to spread a lot of lies about corsets. Yeah, and I have fallen victim for sure. And I have to admit that even in thinking of this week's topic, I'm guilty of doing one of my least favorite fashion history things, which is being a sensationalist about corsets, because I know that the idea of wearing a corset while pregnant is going to make people gasp. But I want to use it as an avenue today to talk about corset justice, so I think it's okay. And the way that you talk about them really desensationalized them. Yes. <laughs> so instead, we are actually going to... Uh change people's minds about corsets today. We have to change the narrative. Should we cover it? Let's cover it. Time to cover up. Time to cover up. The ghost of a Victorian beauty looks in wonder at the shape of things to come. Can this garment actually be a corset? Where are the whale bones, the steel, the tight lacing that every girl of the last century had to endure to give her figure the fashionable hourglass shape? The answer is nylon silk and synthetic rubber, unheard of in her day, but able by clever cutting and the pull of the material to give perfect control. It isn't fair what these modern girls get away with. Modern girls get away with. Okay, before we get into maternity corsets, though, we still need to do a little bit at the beginning here. When were corsets first popping up? Actually, before we even talk about corsets across time, I want to talk about the general idea of a corset because, like you said before, when people hear the term corset, they immediately go to a bad place. They start thinking yeah. of things that are tight and restrictive or like overtly really sexual, but that's not the intended purpose of a corset at all. Where are we talking about, though? This is like the history that we're going to be talking about is in Europe, yeah? Yes, um, we're talking about Europe. Attitudes towards undergarments in general vary vastly depending where you are in the world. So we're just going to focus on like post-medieval Europe right now. Okay, I think that that's super helpful. The scenes you see in today's popular culture, such as um, Bridgerton, mm -hmm. <laughs> women being tight-laced into corsets and fainting, would be the equivalent if we depicted every person putting on their bra today like a Victoria's Secret angel, like putting in those chicken cutlets and lacing themselves totally. up and toning their bodies. Which is not to say that certain people didn't use corsets to give themselves a 14-inch waist, but it was absolutely not the norm. Okay, well then what were they used then for yeah the best way to explain corsets is to continue in this analogy and say that they were the equivalent of bras today in a lot of ways they were actually better than bras but we can get into that later <laughs> um, corsets were just an undergarment that was considered a necessary part of dress they were just a consistent part of the undergarment layer for women Exactly. It's one part of building an outfit and it's a functional undergarment. And then one more little tiny point before I get off my fashion historian high horse. Corsets would never, ever, ever have been worn directly against bare skin. And I know this seems like a small detail, but I actually think it changes our entire perception of corsets. What would you wear underneath them? So underneath you would have a chemise, which is essentially a shift or a nightgown mm. or a cotton undershirt. You put the corset on top of the chemise, and that way your skin is protected from the boning and eyelets of the corset. And then also the corset, which would have been, for most of history, very expensive and difficult to make, is protected from the sweat and dirt coming off of your body. Not the dirt. Oh, the dirt. I mean, <laughs> definitely the dirt. <laughs> Again, <laughs> bathing, we don't know that much about how, how much people bathed. It's a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> we do know about corsets, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
For most of history, each corset would have been created by hand and fitted precisely to its wearer. And like I just said, they were really expensive and time-consuming to make, so you wouldn't have a huge wardrobe of corsets. That's another like weird movie and TV right. lie. You'd either have just one if you were poor or maybe a few if you were wealthy and you could afford every few years to change out some of the styles. But they had to be versatile. Okay. And now let's go back to the beginning then, the first corset. Okay, so now to the dawn of corsets. Yeah, the very first one. <laughs> All throughout medieval Europe, we can see paintings of garments that look like corsets, but the first physical example that we have in modern European history comes from Germany in 1598. It was buried with the body of Falzgraven Dorothea Sabine von Neuburg, which is a great name. Well, I actually also almost got named that. <laughs> it was like my mom's second choice, but she went with Natalie. Um, what was this corset made of? <laughs> the Neuburg, excuse me. Yeah, get my second name right. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Falzgraven. Um, the Neuburg corset is made from linen and silk, but we also see a lot of corsets from this time period made of leather because leather is really hardy and stiff and it could support the backs and breasts of women who spent all day working in the fields. Falzgraven Dorothea Sabine von Neuburg was not <laughs> working in the fields, but some of the other remaining samples we have are from peasant women who would have worn leather corsets. So it both supports and constricts? Okay, so this... It's not going to constrict you that much. Yeah. That's part of the big corset lie. Like, think about if you had to spend all day doing manual labor right now, you'd probably want to wear a sports bra, right? Yeah. So that's this is the equivalent of that. I the, understand. The boning... It does both support and constrict. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, like, when we think about the fact that our bodies have not changed that much across the past 500 or so years, it makes sense that our clothing actually hasn't changed that that much in terms of its yeah. functionality yeah um so this is essentially the same thing but it's maybe better because it's also going to keep your shoulders and your back straight unlike a sports I bra i could use that yeah me too i really use that <laughs> and also you'd be wearing this corset all the time like potentially from puberty until your death so you would have I'm a, scared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would have a very intimate relationship with this garment that we really can't even imagine yeah. now it would probably feel uncomfortable not to wear it right yeah. yeah, in the same way when you like take your bra off sometimes, then you're like, oh no, I actually want that back on. Yeah, you're too vulnerable. <laughs> you're too well, vulnerable. <laughs> this the gets into a lot, a lot of my modern theories, but we've like made ourselves too vulnerable in the name of, of... comfort. Mm -hmm. Shoot, I mean, I am a comfort girly and I'm the most vulnerable person I know. Wow, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's something there. <laughs> okay, so it's not actually, what I'm hearing though is like, these corsets are not as much about looking good as they are about feeling good. Well, I think it's important to analyze this duality of the corset, which we can see happening even from the beginning since its inception. You can use it as a technical garment to support your body while you work. But if you're, say, Italian royalty living in the Medici court, you can also use your <laughs> We're corset. Always, why are we always in the Medici court? Because <laughs> they're like my favorite place. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> You can also use your corset to give yourself the latest fashionable silhouette, which would have been a really pointy waist and flat boobs. But even the corsets that these women would have worn weren't just vain torture devices. They worked really well to hold up the heavy fabrics that courtly women were required to wear, like they would be wearing yards and yards of heavy silk, velvet, you know, things that would have been massively uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, uncomfortable to wear and would have dragged you down a lot. So the corset kind of structures that out from your physical body. 
but they took all the heat. I know. They're actually the only ones doing the good work. And they <laughs> took all the heat. Exactly. We're never blaming the dresses for being like too thick and it's heavy. That's true. That's sumptuous, but the corsets underneath are bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's also super interesting about corseted bodies in general is that for so long, looking fashionable was about achieving a certain silhouette, not a certain size. Mm. So it was more important that your clothes had a certain shape to them than that you had a certain shape under your clothes. Okay, there's something in that that I like, I think. I do have a question, though. Were corsets made by men? I actually have no idea, and this is such a great question. Like, throughout most of history, most seamstresses and tailors would have been women, but the actual design, design I really wonder. Like, there, there probably was a good deal of male influence. And obviously, the women wearing corsets in this time were not living in a feminist utopia right. where the predominant silhouette they wanted to achieve was like Ray Kawakubo's lumps and bumps. <laughs> um, but it was a different attitude towards shape in general. Yeah. And part of that shape over the course of a woman's lifetime would potentially be pregnant. We know it. <laughs> we know it well. And oh, they were not me. <laughs> I know it a bit too well. Um, and you need undergarments to support that. Okay, but was the corset actually doing anything that would assist in pregnancy or was it just kind of like, you know, we wear these all the time, so we also wear them while we're pregnant? We'll get to that, but a bit of both. Okay, I'll be patient. (laughs) What's difficult is that European women did not dress to show off pregnancy for most of history for various reasons, like differing attitudes towards pregnancy, towards female bodies, but also the fact that clothing was a lot more expensive. And like I said, you're kind of expected more to adhere to a certain silhouette than to dress for like how you feel you want to express your... Yeah, you want to worry about you expressing your... (laughs) I mean, there was plenty of room for self-expression, but you weren't really meant to express that you were pregnant. Pregnant, yeah. (laughs) Um, We can find some corsets from the 1700s that are definitely designed for a round pregnant belly, and you can see how the boning was shaped to a pregnant belly. But what was probably happening pre-1800s is that women were loosening their corsets to accommodate their bumps and maybe, maybe, maybe getting something new if they could afford it. Mm. But this is okay because the predominant corset style during the 1700s is a slightly softer corset, which is sometimes called jumps. A lot of them look more like a little tank top or like a quilted tank top. So that works pretty easily with pregnancy. Again, you're still getting tons of different styles, of course, it's depending on what decade you're in and where in the world you are. But in general, they went for a slightly softer, looser corset. In the 1800s, we roll that back (laughs) and corsets become a little bit more rigid and advances in machine production also mean that it's easier to make more types of corsets. So that's when we start to see some really cool looking maternity corsets. I'm looking at one right now, and as always, we have photos in our covered substack. but I especially recommend looking at these ones because the maternity corsets are really beautiful in that they lace up both sides of the belly. They have some boning that curves around the belly, and they do look like they're given some support. Oh, yeah. In many ways, I think they would actually be super comfortable if you've ever been pregnant. You'll know that your belly can feel really vulnerable in the early stages of pregnancy, and then later on it can be really crampy on your ligaments and painful on your back to carry a big bump. So anything that would kind of like evenly distribute that weight would be much appreciated. 
I'm so skeptical usually of most things that you say about comfort because you're kind of a masochist. But in this scenario, I completely trust you. (laughs) Yes. No, that makes a lot of sense. I find the maternity corsets to be a really good reminder that you can't analyze a garment outside of the context it was created in. It makes a lot of sense, actually, that they would modify corsets to fit pregnant bodies because corsets were such a constant part of life, just as pregnancy was. And now that I'm thinking about that, like it actually normalizes pregnancy in a way that feels hard to understand when you just look at the image out of context. Yeah, I really like that take because I think that's what I was saying about like not trying to be a sensationalist. When you look at the picture, like that's crazy. Right. Um, But if you think about the fact that like it wasn't socially acceptable to leave your house ever without a corset on. So the fact that they're making ones for pregnancy is like kind of nice and inclusive. I guess like if you went into a bra store and saw a bunch of like maternity and nursing bras in there, it would be like a nice inclusive thing. Right. Then... Later into the Victorian era, we start to see a Victorian obsession with health and wellness. And corsets actually start to be advertised as part of a healthy pregnancy. Mm. So we kind of lose the like, just normalize, (laughs) normalize life. (laughs) I'll include a few of the advertisements for maternity corsets in the show notes because they're really funny. Um, There's one that quite literally says you'll have better babies if you wear (laughs) a pregnancy corset. (laughs) Okay, that is really funny. I'm thinking about the late Victorian obsession with health and wellness. And now I'm like, maybe that's right now while while we're having this also faux health and wellness moment. We are also in a very faux Victorian way of dressing. Yeah. And you know what? I'm just sort of thinking about this now. There's again, this could be a whole amazing series, (laughs) but you have these two opposing schools of thought in Victorian England, which are like a Victorian health and wellness craze. And then an arts and crafts movement, health and wellness craze, where they think that corsets are really bad. Uh-huh. And they spread a lot of corset misinformation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's like if you've ever seen like the x-ray that shows like the woman's back is being broken by a corset. Right. Or like you'll, it'll be like Dr. Death recommends that you wear a corset. Totally <laughs> correct. He does. And in a way, it's kind of just like the InfoWars versus Goop selling the same product that we have now. <laughs> like they both just want you to exercise a little more and dress slightly more comfortable. And moisturize. <laughs> yeah. That's all they really ever wanted. I, I don't even know if they wanted you to moisturize. That's true. That's I mean, Goop, Goop and InfoWars do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Wait, but what was the idea about Better Babies? Because your bump is being supported more supported yeah and then it's sort of like we see it like we see it all the time now any advance in technology even when it's just in terms of building the corset they're like oh this is healthier and this is better spend money to get the new one because it's going to make your baby smarter and you know easier to give birth and whatever you also get breastfeeding corsets from this time which are really cool some of them unlace over the breasts and then some of them have these little like rotating panels that you could flip up over your nipples to breastfeed okay yeah that is very sick yeah I really regret like a year ago I saw this breastfeeding Victorian nightgown yeah in a thrift store by my house and I was like okay I'm gonna come back for that tomorrow because I don't want to carry it around all day and someone else bought it in that one like, day in the one day mm. and I was like who came into this random thrift store and bought a, <laughs> bought my you know 150 year old <laughs> breastfeeding nightgown but whatever <laughs> fine we'll let them have it this one time unfortunately after these sort of mid-Victorian maternity and breastfeeding corsets, things kind of start to get bad for corset culture. 
Okay, so would you say that the prime era for when corsets were comfortable and supportive and helpful would be like the mid-1500s to the middle of the Victorian era, like the mid-1800s or so? I would say even from the mid-1500s through to 1900. Like we had corsets for a lot longer than we've not had them, you know? Yeah, I mean, that is so interesting because these more quote-unquote comfortable, right? Corsets were there for such a huge portion of history. And at the top of the episode, when you said corsets get a bad rap, I figured the golden age of corsets was still going to be like a very narrow window. I wasn't expecting for it to be like this 500 or whatever, 400-year period that they uh, is so not what I picture corsets to be at all. Yeah. What caused um, the shift for them to start becoming evil we've got the industrial revolution to blame it's literally always the industrial (laughs) revolution it really is (laughs) during the industrial revolution corsets start being made on a factory line rather than in a tailor's workshop so suddenly women have to change their bodies to fit the corsets that already exist not have a corset shaped to their unique figure damn Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. I've never thought about that before. The way that almost women need to bend towards the technology, all in the name of just like producing more product efficiently. Do the women in turn then stop wearing corsets? Do they become less popular? I think there's this widespread idea that post-Victorian society women just threw off their corsets and started voting and riding bikes (laughs) and (laughs) living their best life. But of course, the actual lived experience of this is a lot more nuanced. Some women did get rid of their corsets altogether, like these arts and crafts ladies who I was mentioning earlier. Some women would have kept them and some women would embrace innovations that came to replace corsets, which were, in my opinion, much, much worse. From the 1930s onwards, you get girdles, which are essentially these thick corset bands made out of rubber and polyester, which just sound super sweaty and awful and worse than a nice handmade corset to me. It sounds literally horrible. Would those have uh, zippers or would they still also tie up? Both and everything. They would also have hook and eye clasps, Mm. Velcro. Um, Plastic and synthetic manufacturing goes wild in the 1930s. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and undergarment manufacturers in particular have a field day trying to innovate their craft with these new materials. Oh, that sounds literally horrible. Yeah, they're like so, they like creep me out to even look at and I don't normally feel that way about historical things. And I imagine that the shape of the body that this type of garment is looking to emphasize would also be different. Like instead of before we were talking about flat breasts and a pointy waist, I feel like it almost became completely flipped. Pointy breasts and a flat waist. (laughs) Yes, that's really true. And again, like obviously that silhouette's going to fluctuate a lot. Yeah. But like we said in the Naked Dress episode way, way back, um, (laughs) you start to see this renewed interest in the 30s in following the natural line of the body rather than padding it out so heavily. And the 20s and 30s are the first time in like a 50 or so year period that we're seeing that interest amongst European women. But that coupled with losing corset culture in general (laughs) means that we get this idea of the invisible corset which is that instead of wearing corsets, women are encouraged to train their bodies to mimic the effects of a corset. It's it's almost like you're supposed to look like you're wearing a corset without wearing a corset, but have the shape of a corset. It's classic chill girl toxic maze that women begin to become subjected to. 
Yep. And to further that, there's a huge rise in exercise being billed as a woman's activity from about 1900 onwards. And I'm sure you can imagine where this is going. 1000% (laughs) I can imagine where this is going. It's like the body becomes the corset. Yeah, it's not great. I say give us our corsets back. Right. Like it sounds way more constricting than (laughs) any of the 1700s garments that you just described. Yeah. Well, it also gets into like you know, the nonlinear history thing of like, we think of ourselves as so free and liberated, but perhaps our bonds have gone from outer and physical to inner and mental. (laughs) I'm so scared. No, it's really true. Like the release of at least being able to take your corset off and be like, this is my body and this is my wardrobe. And the distinction kind of becoming one as body as wardrobe, especially in this time period that we're living in right now is really horrifying. No, yeah. And I think about it all the time. It's different, but the same with yeah. like Kardashian adjacent BBL culture. And then right. you have people being like, oh, I actually want to get my butt and breast implants undone because I don't like that physique anymore. And we are now in a whole new world of those modifications are happening within your body, not on right. top of it and not even at the gym, which is kind of freaky if you think about it for too long. I, and and unfortunately, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would like to get into this current resurgence, though. The Vivienne Westwood corset, the viral meow corset, as we were saying at the top. For the boys at home, let's describe the Vivienne Westwood corsets that I believe we both quite love. She designed these incredible corsets that have kind of like a, a flat triangular panel in the front and then stretchy sides and they have all kinds of cool different graphics or drapery or whatever on that flat front they're really similar to a lot of 1600s late 1600s and early 1700s corsets because that's when you get that flat front with the nipped in waist again you kind of see that pop up at other times throughout history but it's definitely not an 1800s corset where you were like separating the boobs and making the waist really small this is more like a tank top. They're so beautiful and delicate. Um, most famously, if you haven't seen, there are a couple that have, she did a portrait collection in 1990 that are based off of a bunch of 18th century paintings and they're beautiful. Yeah. The one with the little Boucher, Daphnis and Chloe painting is like, I mean, it's one of my favorite paintings. And then the fact that you could wear that painting around with you, it's, it's a dream. Is that the one Bella Hadid has? I actually don't know which one Bella Hadid has. I'm more of a Gigi fan, but <gasps> I know, crazy. <laughs> I know that's I'm so like, insane. well, that might be the accessory we need. <laughs> anyway, what do you attribute? Why did these repop up so much in the past couple of years? Why do you think that we became so corset obsessed so quickly? Yeah, I, I wonder because what we see with Vivian Westwood and also we see it at um, Galliano and in a little bit at Jean-Paul Gaultier, though his corsets are very different, like the Madonna corset. You see this renewed interest in the 90s with big name designers trying to outdo each other with their knowledge of historicism. Wow. Yeah. And you have like just bigger budgets for research and greater desire for showmanship in fashion. And so you get like these really, really cool, elaborate historical references 
that we don't see as much now, and I really miss it, though I know some people don't miss it. And like, I just read a great piece by Kathy Horan about how she thinks that people now romanticize that time as the height of runway culture, but like people were equally annoyed, as then, annoyed by that as they were by the row showing like plain black coats. So <laughs> it's a good little reminder for me. The, the, um, but then I think our recent 90s revitalization right. saw those courses come back. And again, like they're just cool and they make you look hot and they've, they've got cool stuff on them. So like Checks what's every box? <laughs> yeah. What's not to love? As two professional internet searchers, we found some perfect corsets just for you. We've linked our recs in our show notes, or you can visit covered.substack.com. But before we head out, it's time for the accessory. Just like your favorite Vivian Westwood piece or nursing bra, right before we leave, we'll be adding on one more thing, just for fun. Imagine a corset being something that you just (laughs) add on just for fun. (laughs) Yeah, we're actually lying this week about everything. Okay, I I recently saw a pet peeve of mine, mm. and it made me wonder, like, what's your outfit pet peeve on yourself or on someone else? I'm going to need you to go first so that I could get inspired. My pet peeve, and it's quite specific to this current moment because it would probably yeah. change in yeah. a year, but is the really, like, overly done hair and makeup with a casual outfit. And Yes. I saw this adorable girl, classic bloquette outfit, if you will. Perfect. Fabulous, fabulous outfit. Like cute jeans and a frilly top and sneakers, whatever. But then like a full face of makeup and the full like slicked back blowout thing. And I just don't like that because it's been in my head since forever. My same uh, fashion mentor who taught me about the product color theory effect. (laughs) Um, said this thing once that has just like changed my life where she's like the less makeup you have on the more clothes you can wear yes and I've always lived by that as someone who doesn't know how to do their makeup very well (laughs) Um, keep that makeup but then give me the 1999 Miu Miu minimalist look or go for the crazy maximalism but then like undo the hair it's just one thing too many for me and, uh, and it's one like mismatch yeah one disjointed element too many okay so this actually as we were having this conversation I realized what my pet peeve is and it's not uh it's an online trend that I'm hearing spewed around and that within itself is my pet peeve it's this idea that you should get dressed and then you should pick a pair of shoes that don't make sense with the outfit yes the wrong shoe the wrong shoe theory I don't need anything to do with that. Wear the type of shoes that actually pull the outfit together. Wear the type of shoes that you're wearing as part of your everyday. Do not go in your closet and say which of these shoes don't work with the outfit and decide that that's going to make it completely wacky or pulled together. You know, I'm glad we're finally talking about this because a lot of people have sent this to me being like, you knew about this first. I'm like, well, kind of like... If yeah, you're I know looking how to put, at like yeah. <laughs> Scandinavian fashion, you know, you have people wearing like fugly Asics with Cecily yeah. Bonson dresses like that. I, I really like that. And right. I like dynamic contrast. But I agree. We need to remember the, the Mucha Prada direction of that initiative, which is just to have dynamic contrast and things that play against each other, not to do like, yeah, penny loafers with like some I don't know I see some I see some crazy ones but you gotta figure out where that balance is and it might not always be in the shoes 
Thanks for listening to Covered. Covered is hosted by me, Ruby Redstone. And hosted and produced by me, Natalie Brennan. Our artwork is by Gabriel Summer. Our music is by Aidan Noel. You can find me on Instagram at Ruby Redstone, and my newsletter, Old Fashioned, is available on Patreon. I am New Balenciaga on Instagram, and my newsletter, ISO, is on Substack. All of our links are in the show notes. Okay, I think we're all covered. We're all covered. All covered. All covered.